0: You know, when you ask yourself, you know, do I, do I got church? Paul lays out in the book of Timothy some ways to know if you do or not. And we're not talking about it if you go to a building or if you have a sign with a name that has the word church at the end of it. How do you know if you really belong to a, a group of people who understand what it means to be in relationship with Christ and he's their head? I think one of the first things he lays out in First Timothy 1 is that you have the right message. Your content really matters. And I would just examine. You're welcome to examine our content. We believe wholly and solely in the authoritative Word of God. Amen. And it sets our agenda. And it is the only way that reveals how to be saved. Also, when that message is followed, that content is absorbed. When that content is believed, it changes people. I would say to you that just on what we've studied so far in 1 Timothy 1, the right content and then the right kind of people changed. I mean, content and change really signifies if you got church. And when you think about that, he then goes on in chapter 2 and talks about what these changed people kind of look like. He doesn't go into great detail, but he begins in chapter 2 to To kind of lay out more specifics about these people. You you may call them members. I sometimes think that word culturally, we think that means you signed a form and you're on a roll. I don't know where the word roll is in the New Testament. But, you know, we had this idea that members means that you kind of belong to an institution. I think we're talking here about if you belong to the body of Christ, here's what you look like in general. And he does this in chapter 2. Look with me, 1 Timothy 2. Here we are talking now about the church's members, those who, who have accepted the content and are being changed by the Lord. What do they look like? He, in chapter 2, begins to talk about this idea of prayer and the priority of it. I'm going to make a statement to you right off the bat that I think sums up these verses. I think God church people are people of prayer and they embrace its priority and power. And that is in stark contrast to self-sufficient, I'll use the word, uh, um, non-church people. I don't mean by that they don't belong to an organized religion. I mean people who don't belong to the body of Christ. Unbelievers. They don't worry about prayer it's part of power. They're self-sufficient. But when you are changed by the content of the message, you realize that your sufficiency is in Christ. That only in Him are you able to really locate and find the strength and the guidance you need for day to day. And Paul, that's why I think think in chapter 2, verse 1, he lays out first and foremost that that people who are changed by the content of this message, they first of all, they just pray. Now let me share with you something I think is happening in this book on a larger scale, okay? Look at this way. Before we read, I want to explain this to you. I'm not ready to make this statement definitively yet, But I tend to think this is happening in this book. I think that he is laying out almost a spectrum of things that you can use to determine if you are in a true biblical church or not. Now, I'm going to lay this out more as I study, and I'm still thinking, okay, how how far do I want to go with this? But as I read the book every single week, he seems to start with the content issues. He moves to change issues and leadership issues. He ends with things like, how rich folks in your congregation handle money? What does the church do with widows' things? Now, watch this. Now they're important, but they on on a, on a human level probably not as important as the content issue. Are you with me? I'm wondering if what he's not doing in this in this book is saying Timothy, as you work there with believers, here's what really matters. And then all these things, yes, they matter, but maybe perhaps in a scale like if you got to take care of some things, take care of these first and these second, and these third, and these fourth. Are you with me? Wouldn't it be awesome if at the end of our study we could analyze first family in a healthy and proper way and say, man, God, we just want to be in line with your, with your word every step of the way. Wouldn't it be awesome? We could say, man, we got church then, right? And I think that's kind of what's going on here. So in light of that, prayer is mentioned as a very beginning thing that characterizes church people. In fact, you'll notice in chapter 2, I keep referencing there, I never read there. Just hang with me, okay? I've got a lot in my heart and I want to share this with you. You'll notice that in chapter 2, he mentions men in verse 8 and mentions women in verse 9. I think, if I'm not mistaken, that's pretty much all people, isn't it? Men and women, correct? So in a real sense, this chapter talks about every person in the church at some point. And if we will obey and follow these guidelines for men and women, then the church's members or the church's people will really be changed in the right way. We'll start looking more like the church. And it's interesting that he goes right to this issue of prayer. So Let's talk about, first of all, here he says the priority of prayer, verses 1 through about 7. Look with me at your Bibles. 1 Timothy 2. He says, I urge then, first of all, and Marty read this to us earlier, so I'm just going to kind of briefly go over this again. He says, I urge first of all, meaning I suspect this is the first of several subjects to come. And he does mention prayer first. So one of the marks of a changed person is that prayer is important. And he says that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving. Four types of prayers, okay? Request is that which you bring to God and you ask. You are um, the, the King James word is to beseech. There's the word prayers, which by the way, the second word there after request, word prayers. It's only used in the New Testament to refer to communication with God. It's never used to talk about interceding for someone else on their behalf. It's not used to talk about perhaps a requesting like Philippians 4, 6, and 7. This word is strictly used to talk about Talking to God about God, praising Him. Then he says intercession, which is a, a, a thing we do on behalf of other people. By the way, part of the root word of intercession is the word with. So if I make intercession for Travis, I'm not just praying for Travis, but I'm praying with Travis. It's something I do with you, about something for you. And then he says thanksgiving, and that's awesome, isn't it? But don't forget that the gist of these first seven verses is talking about praying for those in authority. Uh, Let me put a name to that for this historical culture, Nero. He was the, the ruler, lost pagan. And Paul said to Timothy, you instruct those believers to pray for those ruling over them and to be thankful. Amen. Who all here is convicted already? I am. I'm ready to just confess my sins to God. He said these should be made for, and look at the global aspect of prayer. Say it with me. The next word for everyone. And I wonder if this Jewish and perhaps somewhat Gentile audience, if it had been infiltrated yet by these Gentiles to whom the gospel was open. I wonder if this collection of believers, this church, when they heard that read, if they immediately thought, well, I'm not praying for Nero. And you just think, you wonder how this went over. We don't know. But I just, when I see that word and I understand its, it's place in the Greek text, I, I think Paul was making strong statements to the believers. Listen, guys, you pray and you give thanks and you intercede for people and you do it for everyone. There was a lot of uh, class wars, I'll use that phrase, in this culture. Looked down on people, you weren't the right race. There was a lot of persecution. And Paul made a point to say, everyone should be prayed for. And then he starts listing for kings and those in authority. That we may live peaceful and quiet lives. Not that they may, uh, you know, have a bad day or become ill or fade away. He says, listen, you just pray for them. The end result is that we want to live peaceful and quiet lives. I think it's interesting here, and, and if you're really into politics, you're going to be upset with me at this point. But I think you'll get over it. I think it's interesting that Paul here mentions that we're to pray for our leaders. That's probably the, the, the most important thing you could do is to pray for them that they would rule in a way that those who believe would have the, the right and the ability to lead peaceful and tranquil lives. It is not our goal to, to be hard to deal with on purpose. Amen. We're not trying to be competitive or argue, combative or argumentative. It's our goal to pray for our leaders so that they would, would institute policies and rule in a way that, that those who believe would live, live peaceful. It's almost as if he's saying, guys, the, the end goal is not to really uh, look for ways to cause a problem. We desire peace. And sometimes you get the opposite impression watching the media, don't you? That all the right-wing people, all they're looking for is a fight. And they'll argue with you about anything. And they're just looking to drop the hat and then fight over it, you know? Paul says, listen, you pray that that the end result will be peaceful and quiet lives and all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Some have wondered if he's talking about living the life of peaceful as being good or if the prayer is good. I'm not sure we know. I would say they're both good. But praying this way pleases God, but also living this way is good and pleases God. And you know why? Because he wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. There's that word all again. And I just have a funny feeling that if I'm in this church and I hear this letter read, my gut feeling is I'm thinking God wants all men to be saved. I mean, he wants that crazy hero to be saved. He wants those who are occupying our land to be saved. He wants these folks, these soldiers who seem to be taking from me and persecuting me, he wants them to be saved. I hope you really let this sink in as we approach November. God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So men are misled. Often our political leaders do believe false things. But then the first thing to do is to pray for them. For there is one God... And one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. The testimony given in his proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. I'm a teacher of the true faith of the Gentiles. Paul's saying, listen guys, prayer matters. And to live appropriately in the body of Christ, to live as a changed person with the right content means that prayer must be a priority. It must be the way that you affect those above you. It's the way that you intercede for those around you. The end result of that of a prayer is that people are saved and, and policies are made, hopefully, and we live peaceful lives. I can't help but think about what happened this week in regards to Faye Haynes. And last Sunday, a lot of you know that it was mentioned here that you praying for Faye as she was uh, she bought a home a few months ago or a few weeks ago. A lot of our guys helped her move in. She moved in without knowing anything about the occupancy situation, the day she moved in, the city of, uh, is it Bondurant? And this is nothing to knock against them. They're just doing their job. But they came over there and said, well, you can't live here. You've got problems with this house. And I don't know about the builder and the city. We're not sure of all that. But she was totally surprised. First, she ever heard of any of this. And they said, you got to move out. So she moved in. And in an hour, she moved out. So she called and sent some emails to our leadership or small group. And Just said, pray that that something can happen. I'm just really, this is all new, new to me. Last Monday, she went to the city council meeting to try to get her occupancy certificate. Her small group, a couple of them went with her, and they sat in the back and just prayed. And some of them stayed back at their small group meeting. They meet on Mondays, and so several of them stayed back in their small group and prayed. Two of them went, a couple went and prayed with her there at the meeting, just very quietly in the back, very peacefully. And she had been told by the lawyers that, you know what, Faye? They're pretty much set on this is a this is not a deal. They're just going to get this done and over with, and you're not going to be able to move in. And by the time the night was over, she had her certificate of occupancy. The bank had put up fifty thousand to cover the repairs that may only cost twenty five, as well as a timeline that if it's not done, that money is in the uh, government's hands. They can use it to make the repairs, and she's moved in. They're covering all of her hotels and meals while she was kind of out of, in a hardship situation. And uh, she left the meeting seeing God answer prayer so that she can live peaceful and quiet life. Isn't that awesome? Let's give God a hand. Amen. And there's nothing magic about faith. There's nothing supernatural about the people in her group. That's just what happens when God's people pray. And I would much rather see 28, 30 lighthouses praying the night before election. Amen? I want you to vote, believe me. Vote for the person that fits the biblical, uh, that matches biblical values. For life, for freedom, things like that. But don't forget that your vote is not near as powerful as your prayers. He then moves to men and women, which I think is a more specific way to talk about these people he's calling to prayer. Let me show what I'm talking about verse eight he says, "So I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. This verse is almost like the the culmination to the first seven. he says prayer matters it's how you it's one of the first things you you grasp as a changed person, and men, I want you to lift up holy hands in prayer and don't argue and." And and dispute about it. There's three things in this verse that I noticed about men. I'll mention them to you briefly. Write these down, would you? And he says about God Church men. I'll call it because in the first seven, he's like talking about God Church people in general. They just prayer is a big deal to them. But about men, I think he says here that men live holy. The word is separate or distinct, set apart. I think the the, the best definition for the word holy, by the way, is the word different. It not, does not mean better. And I've said this three or four times in this pulpit. But when it says that God is holy in the New Testament, it means God is different. He's of an intrinsically different kind than, than any other God. He's exclusive. He's set apart. And when he saves us, he expects us not to live better lives. He expects us to live different lives. Amen. He's talking to us. We should be different And when we are different, that should represent the kind of lifestyle we live. And then we should lift those kinds of hands in prayer. In other words, hands that represent a holy life. Lift them up in prayer without anger or disputing, which may show us how we're to be different. Now, let's just be frank here. I'm talking to the men, especially women. I know you're taking good notes. If there's one thing men struggle with, is we have to be right. We love to argue. We love to debate. and We love to take somebody on. I mean, you just, just go to someone's house during a football game. If they're on opposing sides and the referee makes a call, they'll argue about that for a whole quarter. Now, who knows what the right call really was, but a man is just going to hold his opinion, hold the line. He's going to fight, you know. And, and that's not always negative. We don't want to uh, turn men into sissies. But Paul does mention here that when it comes to the church and praying, Men should not necessarily try to get their way. They shouldn't always be combative or disruptive or trying to to do things in a way that shows they're right. We're to pray with holy lives. We're to pray with lifted up hands. Now watch this. When we do that, I tend to think one of the implications here is we draw the attention off of ourselves and to the person who needs our attention, Jesus Christ. Amen. He is the one. It's watching. He's the one we're worshiping. So, men, we live holy, we pray openly, and we relate peacefully. In fact, I'd I'd say this to the men here this morning. If your family looks at you as a combative, militant uh, commander, it might be good for you to go home and find your prayer closet. Ask God to give you a more gentle, non-quarrelsome spirit. It doesn't mean that you're not the head of your wife or that you can't make the call. But there's something about a, a man who's got a strong spine, but a big smile as well. And sometimes men struggle with that. We love to argue and fight and be combative. And Paul here is calling for men to pray. And I, think, I believe this is not just a symbolic verse. I think it actually means men should lift their hands up as a sign of leadership and a sign of of living different lives in prayer without arguing or anger or disputing. Let me put it to you like this. This is kind of a, a childish word, but I use it on purpose. Ready? Men, when we pray, no fussing allowed. I mean, the church should not be characterized by men who come and gather in the foyer or gather in the auditorium and argue about this. Or if they're right over here or what they thought about that little technicality. That's not... That shouldn't characterize men in the church. What should characterize men is when they pray and they're not arguing. They're not angry. They're not upset in either way. They're drawing people's attention to God. There's no fussing. In other words, the men's meeting in the church shouldn't resemble a grown-up nursery. And Sometimes, I know in my own life, different meetings or even in one-on-one conversations, you just start acting more like a man. And you're going to wrangle something to death and get your way and prove your point. Next thing you know, you, you step back you're like, wow, we didn't pray at all. I, I didn't have any kind of spirit of Christ. All I did was act like a man, a mere mortal, natural man. By the way, look over at chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. Let me show you what's required of elders. Men who lead the church. Let me show you two words that are mentioned. It's in verse 3, I believe it is. 1 Timothy 3, 3. They're not to be violent, but what? And not quarrelsome. By the way, let me just show you this. This is just a total side note. If you see the phrase not violent there in verse 3, it's the only characteristic to which is added a positive. You know, throughout this first part of 1 Timothy 3, He's not to be this, not to be that, not to be this, he is to be that. But this one phrase lists both at the same time. Not violent, but gentle. Then he says, not quarrelsome. You know what, elders at first family, and I can attest to all of them is in this regard, so I affirm them, but I want to say to our church with them present, it is not the role of an elder to pick a fight. We are to defend the faith and hold to things. I agree with that. But here Paul says, listen, our job is not to be arguing and quarreling about things that don't matter. He tells to me that several times in in this book. You know, avoid useless chatter. Don't worry about uh, words that have no profit. I just want to say to you, as I've been convicted for several weeks now, and and I think I can lead the way in this with you men. A combative spirit, when the church gathers, hinders the work of God. Instead, men, let's come together with a desire to lift our hands in prayer, without arguing, disputing, okay? He moves then next to women. And he says, I also want women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. I think the same principle is at the fundamental root here. Just as argumentative Proud, fussy men distract from the real purpose of the church, so women who draw attention to themselves by what they wear or how they act draws attention away from the real purpose of the church. It may be hard to worship God when perhaps uh, in this case, at least in this culture, women were walking in with with great fanfare and they were very showy, flashy, and it was Drawing attention away from why the church really gathered for prayer and to for attention to God. So he says he wants them instead to dress modestly. The word there is, is uh, the word where we get the word cosmetic. It's cosmeto comes from the word cosmos, which means to order. If you said there's cosmos or the the coat, the cosmos here, the universe, there's order to it. So I could say to you, and i mean I'm in territory that I'm treading lightly here uh, about women's makeup and cosmetics for sure. But you know, you can say about women each morning. Let's say when you are applying your makeup or your kind of whatever you do to kind of get ready to appear. You know, uh, you are arranging, you're you're ordering yourself, you're getting yourself ready. And the Bible says here, you know what? Arrange yourself in a way that is modest, that doesn't draw attention to yourself, but instead shows a woman who with good deeds worships God. You see, just like men can draw attention away from God by how they speak, often women do that by how they dress. So he says, I want you to dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls. And that's a reference to a cultural phenomenon there. Often the women were uh, braiding gold and uh, jewelry into their hair. and It was a, a very... Uh, obvious type of look who I am and look I'm here type of uh, move they would make. And it says here, not with expensive clothes, often documents show from that history that women were spending sometimes a month or more of a salary just for a garment or just for a a certain outfit. And, And so Paul says, listen, those kinds of things you may try to buy or do in your hair to draw attention, that's not what women do when they come to church. A believing woman should instead adorn herself with good deeds, verse 10 says. So I would say this to you. In, in this culture, women shouldn't be showy, but they should show what it's like to worship God by good deeds. Are you with me? These are appropriate for women who profess to worship God. He continues in that same line of thought in verse 11 by talking about how this same sense of, of not distracting from, from God and His order of things and the reason we're in church together and to worship Him. He says in verse 11, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. Some folks have wondered about that and thought, well, does that mean a woman can never speak up? Or can, can, they, can they not sing in church? Or so I walk in the doors, have I got to suddenly, you know, put duct tape in my mouth and not say anything? Well, I think that what's in play here is the words teach and have authority. And the reasons that God has laid out that the authoritative teaching voice of the church, and we're talking when the church gathers together from this place here, the authoritative teaching voice of the church is reserved for those men, and I think especially elders, whom God calls and says, listen, this is the church doctrine, teach this to the church when they gather together. That's the authority reserved for men. Now you say, why is that, Todd? Well, he tells us in the next few verses. Look at verse 13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. So some folks who say, well, it was only that way because of the fall actually are missing this part of the Bible. There seems to be a a connection to the fall because the later verse says that Adam was not the one deceived, but the woman who was deceived, she became a sinner. So there is a, a sense in which the fall exacerbates aspects of God's original order. But the truth is, in the home and the church, this order that God has arranged... Uh, starts with, with men knowing their their role as leaders. And in the authoritative teaching aspect of the church, that's where elders, men, step up and fill those shoes. And listen very carefully, church. That's not because women are bad teachers. Uh, there are probably a number of women in this church who are far better teachers than me and maybe many other elders. But for some reason, in God's sovereign wisdom, he has ordained a certain order in the home and the church. So we just obey that. And that order is here, that in the authoritative voice of the church, women are to learn in quietness. Again, it goes back to what God is after. Men who don't argue and aren't fussy, and women who understand exactly how to dress and act in a way that that points people to God, that's what God's after. Men and women, people of the church, who then direct others' attention upward. I think it's interesting that The right type of behavior and speech on the part of men and women helps other people see God better. When you come to church, women, when you come to church, men, are people more likely to see you or God? I think Paul here, by implication, is saying, listen, men and women, remember, you're there to pray and to worship God. To intercede for people on their behalf so they can be saved and for your authorities and rulers. So whatever you do, don't distract from making God the real center of our gathering. Let me give you three things I see about women in these verses. Can I do this real briefly with you? I think women are to dress orderly, serve appropriately, and learn quietly. Those are laid out in Scripture pretty clearly, and I would encourage you not to assume that learn quietly means more than it really means. Does it doesn't mean that women can't ever speak up. In fact, 1 Corinthians 11 says very clearly that women can pray and prophesy in church as long as they do it in the right way, but the authoritative teaching of the church is a spot reserved for men. So here it is. Women, let me tell you two little words. Men are not have to be fussy, right, when they pray. Women... No flaunting. Okay? Now think about this, guys. If you had men who didn't fuss and women who didn't flaunt. By the way, women should show good deeds, but they shouldn't be show we. Are you with me? In just interesting ways God reveals this scripture to us. So here you have men who don't fuss, women who don't flaunt. When you put those two together and you, and, you, and you have a body of believers gathering together, you got church because then all those people are focused on what? God. They're not saying, I love the worship, but I can't see over that lady's hat. Or you know what? I love the worship, but these two guys will not be quiet about last night's game. Hey, you know what? Leave the game at home. Leave the hat at home. Either. Are you with me, man? Let's gather together without fussiness or flauntiness. Watch this. To focus on God. And too many times we come to church to make sure our point is heard or our outfit is seen. And it's all about us, isn't it? No wonder God is displeased with the 21st century American church. Easter is not about a resurrection. It's about the latest outfit you can buy and how much you can spend. Christmas isn't about the birth of the only true Son of God. It's about trying to meet budget and get enough presents for everybody. It's funny, isn't it? gets convicting sometimes, doesn't it? But if men wouldn't be fussy and women wouldn't be flaunting, we would have a gathering of believers that could pray to the God who is the center of our attention every week when we gather. And we can pray for everyone, those in authority, those who need to be saved, and the church could be and do what the church needs to be and do. Amen? Men, would you stand with me, please? Your heads are not bowed and your eyes are not closed. You're looking dead center at me, every man standing. I'm going to ask you this week to live a life of strong leadership, Without fussiness. Okay? I'm going to ask every one of you. I started with me weeks ago in this text. And this week again. Not a quarrelsome spirit, but a gentle spirit. I want strong spines out of you men. Man, when you're eating with your family, pray. Pray with your family. Pray for upcoming elections. Pray for those in authority. Pray for people to be saved. I'm looking for strong leadership out of you guys. But listen, do it in a way that has a towel and a basin with it. Serve your family. Don't be afraid to make decisions. Hear good information but, and lead the way, but not in a fussy, angry, or disputing way. Don't breed fights. Don't try to pick a fight so you can make your point. Serve! So, men, I'm counting on you this week. Women, will you join in, please? Women, I'm asking you this week to be okay if it's not always about you and your latest outfit or jewelry. I'm not saying that you think that way, but let's just be honest. In our culture, you can't stand in the line at Walmart and not see 10 magazines with a woman on the cover flaunting something. It's funny, you don't see very many with men, do you? But They they capitalize on women in that way, in a negative way. Women, let's not buy into that thinking. Let's be content to know that, you know what, God is the real center of our church gathering. He should be the center of my attention and my life. And Lord, just help me to know what it means to to not be a, a someone who flaunts myself. Instead, I want to live a life that focuses others towards you. If the men and women of first family would just continue to speak and pray in a way and live and dress in a way that focuses people's attention on God, we would know what it means to have church. And I think people around us would say, man, what kind of church you go to? You got church going on? I do. I'm just part of a body of believers. And every week we focus on God.